Thanks for tuning in to the Follow Church weekly message. Our hope and prayer is that you will find this message uplifting and challenging as we seek to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. Genesis 36. This is the account of the family line of Esau, that is, Edom. Esau took his wives from the women of Canaan, Ada, daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and Aholibama, daughter of Anna, and granddaughter of Zibion, the Hevite, and also Basmath, daughter of Ishmael, and sister of Nebaioth. Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, Basmath bore Ruel, and Aholibama bore Joash, Jalem, and Korah. These were the sons of Esau who were born to him in Canaan. Esau took his wives and sons and daughters and all the members of his household, as well as his livestock and his other animals and all the goods he had acquired in Canaan, and moved to a land some distance from his brother Jacob. Their possessions were too great for them to remain together. The land where they were staying could not support them both because of their livestock. So Esau, that is Edom, settled in the hill country of Seir. Dave. Great, thank you, Wilma. Good morning, everyone. A few years ago, I was driving along a fairly busy road, going past a school, uh, past a school oval, big high fence, and as I drove along, suddenly a football came flying over the fence, bounced on the road right in front of me, so, uh, and came to a stop. So I stopped my car. The driver coming the other way stopped their car. So I quickly got out of the car to retrieve the footy. So I picked up the footy. You know, there's a fence there. Went to kick the footy back over the fence to the kids. Uh, didn't quite kick it that well. I hit the top of the fence and fell down on my side of the uh, fence, which was annoying. So then I got to run across the road, pick up the footy, back back a few steps. By now the traffic's building up both directions and <laughs> someone's tooting their horn up there like, yeah, yeah, thanks a lot, mate. So anyway, kicked it again. This time finally got over the fence. The kids all, yeah, thank you, giving me waves. You know, hopped back in my car and drove off. But as I reflected later about that story, I thought about who, how that story would sound depending who was telling the story. See, the kids, if they could be bothered, they would probably say, our ball went over the fence and then this really nice man stopped and he got the ball back for us and we could keep going with our game of footy. And I'd be the good guy in their story. Some of the other drivers, their version would be, or the ball came over the fence and some doofus stopped the traffic in both directions and he couldn't even kick the ball over the fence and we all got held up and I was late for my appointment and I would be the villain if they were telling the story. So I guess our, our choices decide our actions and our, our, priori- our choices are determined by our priorities and our priorities are determined by who we serve. And in that moment, my first thought was to serve those kids. Had I wanted to serve the other drivers, my action would have been different. I just would have you know, steered around the football and kept going. And if I had my time over again, I'd do the same thing, I'd stop the car and help the kids. And you may argue about my priorities, uh, not caring about the other drivers and their appointment, but that's my point, that who we choose to serve will determine our actions and our priorities. So the evidence would suggest that kids are more important to me than adults, but that's okay. My point is who or what is our priority and who or what do we serve? Genesis chapter 36. Uh, it's there already. Uh, this is the last chapter in this part of our series through the book of Genesis. This is like beginnings part three of Genesis. We did way back at Tumor, we did uh, Genesis part one, where we did the creation and the fall and the flood. 
Then we did part two on the life of Abraham. And in this part, we have done the lives of Isaac and Jacob. And then we'll come back sometime in the future and do Genesis part four, the life of Joseph, a remarkable young man, something to look forward to. So chapter 36 doesn't, isn't about Isaac or Jacob, but it fits in with this part of the series because it's about Isaac's other son, Esau, Jacob's twin brother. Now, I know Luke had some calls during the week from MCG leaders saying, I think you've made a mistake. Like, how are we going to do a study on the genealogy of Esau? Well, Luke and I, and hopefully many others, we believe that all scripture is inspired by God. So therefore, this chapter is in the Bible for a reason. And that means there is something there for us to learn, something that we should be aware of and take notice of. So on the surface, this chapter is just about a list of names of Esau and his wives and his children and his descendants. But we can also learn about choices and we can learn about priorities and we can learn about the consequences of those choices. See, there is no evidence, no evidence in the Bible anywhere that Esau served God. In fact, Malachi chapter 1 is a great chapter. <laughs> and part of what that says is that God says, I loved Jacob, but I rejected Esau. Let's try it that way. Hey, awesome. Yes, I loved your ancestor Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau. See, some people, uh, some versions even use the word hate, that God hated Esau. My understanding of the original intention of the word was that God rejected Esau, his, his actions, his choices, his, you know, the way he lived his life, not hated him as a person. But uh, either way, for God to say that is, is rather ex- extreme. This is the same God who loves everyone. This is the God who gave up his only son so that everyone who believes may have life. The same God who wants everyone to be saved, and yet he publicly acknowledged, I have rejected Esau. There's got to be a very good reason for that. And the only possible explanation I can think of is that Esau had already wholeheartedly rejected God. So Esau had every opportunity in his life, maybe like some of us, maybe more than some of us. Esau's grandfather was Abraham, a, a hero of the faith, a man who served God. Abraham had made mistakes, but he served God. Esau's father was Isaac, another man who, made, who had faults, but he served God. And Esau's twin brother was Jacob, who had, as we've heard in recent weeks, had quite a few issues going on, but even he served God. But there was no indication that Esau did And so my point for today is all of you to choose who you will serve. Now, we don't know who or what Esau did serve, but we do get a bit of a clue in verse 2 of this chapter when it says that Esau took his wives from among the Canaanite women. He married women from Canaan. Um, In previous chapters, we saw how Abraham had specified that Isaac's wife should not come from among the women of Canaan. We saw Isaac tell Jacob, do not take your wife from among the women of Canaan. And the Bible tells us, Old and New Testament outline the dangers of being married to someone who does not love and serve and worship and honour and obey God. And yet Esau took wives, multiple wives, from among the women of Canaan. It may not seem a hangable offence just by itself, but it clearly shows that uh, Esau's priority was not to do the things that God wanted him to do. The names of his wives are interesting, as are many of the names in the chapter, but one of his wives, her name was O Holy Bummer. 
Now, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm quoting the Bible here, guys. But I reckon maybe that's what God was thinking when he saw married her. Oh, holy bummer. Like, you know. <laughs> now, it might be unfair to sum up a person's whole life based on one Bible verse, but in the complete absence of any evidence that he ever did choose to serve God, we can only assume, take this as evidence of Esau's attitude, Esau's priorities, Esau's choices in life. Last week, Graham Dunkley preached a great sermon for us, and he quoted from the book of Joshua, and I'm going to quote from the same verse today. Joshua chapter 24, uh, Joshua is talking to the people, and he says, Choose today who you will serve. And Joshua goes on to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. See, we all have choices about who we will serve. In Joshua's time, they could choose to serve idols or they could choose to serve the one true God. And in our times, we also have many choices over who or what we serve. Some people serve their career, their status, their popularity. Maybe it's a particular cause that they're passionate about or a political party or an organisation. Maybe in Melbourne, it might just be a footy team. We all serve different things in life. Uh, many years ago, that great and uh, well-known theologian, Bobby Dylan uh, wrote a song called, You're Gonna Have to Serve Somebody. And he said, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. No matter who you are, you're still gonna have to serve somebody. And those words are still true today. And as Graham explained last week, some people in those days worshipped other gods, which were just idols made of wood or stone or even clay. And even after God had delivered the people out of slavery in Egypt, some of them still chose just to worship these idols. And even after God settled them into the promised land, some of them still chose just to worship these idols. And even some of the kings of Israel worshipped idols instead of the one true God. In 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a story about a prophet of God named Elijah and 450 prophets who served this, an idol called Baal. And basically, Elijah says, when he goes to them and he says, look, we should decide once and for all who we should serve. If the Lord is God, then serve him. But if Baal is God, then we'll all serve him. And Elijah said, let's have a competition and see whose God is real. We'll get two altars. We'll get two bulls to sacrifice. You can choose which one. We'll load the wood on. We'll do everything, get it all ready. But we will not light the fire Whichever, we'll ask whichever God is real to light the fire for his own sacrifice. And the people all said, yeah, fair enough, great idea. And Elijah said, well, there's 450 of you and only one of me, so you guys can go first. So they chose their altar and prepared it. They chose their bull. They cut it up in pieces, prepared the carcass, put it on the wood and left it there ready for the sacrifice. And then they started to call out to Baal to light the fire. But nothing happened. And all morning they chanted, Baal, light the fire. And nothing happened. Now, bear in mind, in Israel, there had been no rain for three years. So the wood, the wood was tender dry and the sun was hot. There's plenty of chance for a fire to start. And they called out all day, asking God, Baal to light the fire. By lunchtime, Elijah was getting a bit bored. He was getting a bit sick of it. So he started taunting them. He said, what's wrong with your God? Maybe he's daydreaming. You better speak up. And they go, Baal, light the fire. Elijah said, maybe he's at the toilet. Maybe he's, you know, going for a leak. Baal, light the fire. And Elijah's taught them, maybe he's on holidays, maybe he's asleep. What's wrong with this God of yours? And all day, through the heat of the day, they chanted and pleaded and wailed and they cut themselves and they danced. Baal, light the fire. Nothing happened. Of course nothing happened. He's, just a, he's not even a being, he's just a lump of wood or clay or something. It's absurd to have worshipped something like that. But eventually, 
After hours and hours of pleading and trying and nothing happened, Elijah said, all right, my turn. Now, Elijah probably knew that you know, he didn't want any, any chance that they might say it was circumstance. So Elijah says, first of all, bring me some water. So they brought a pack of water and poured it over his altar. And he said, bring some more. And they poured it over his altar. And he said, bring some more. And they poured it over his altar so that the, the carcass was wet, the wood was saturated, the altar was wet, there was a ditch around the outside of the altar that was full of water. Try lighting a fire under those conditions. And then Elijah says, all right. And he looks to heaven and he says, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, prove today that you are Lord so that these people will know. And fire from heaven fell down and burned up the wood and the wood and the carcass and the altar and all the water in the, in the ditch. And the people who were watching fell down and they proclaimed, the Lord, he is God. The Lord is God. See, God has proven himself. And so we should serve him because he is God and he deserves our praise and our worship and our service. You might be thinking to yourself, gee, I wish God would do something like that in my life, you know, demonstrate his power and prove to my friends that he's real and prove to me. He does not need to do that. There is ample evidence in creation to point us to the creator for all of those who have eyes open to see. You might recall the story in the New Testament after Jesus rose from the dead and he appeared to all the disciples except Thomas. And then the other disciples said, Jesus is alive. And Thomas, he didn't even trust, didn't even believe his trusted friends. He said, nah, unless I see the scars in his wrist and the wound in his side, don't believe you. And then Jesus appeared to Thomas. And Thomas then he saw and he believed and he said, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to Thomas, you believe because you have seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet they believe. And that's the kind of faith that God asks from us, requires from us to believe. So you don't have to spend all day taunting prophets of Baal for God to prove himself. All you have to do is read 1 Kings chapter 18 and take about 10 minutes and then you'll know that there is a God. And God in fact says, do not put me to the test. Um, you'll recall the story of the New Testament where Satan is tempting Jesus and Jesus says to him, the scriptures say you must not test the Lord your God. In fact there was only one area of life one area of life where God says, all right, test me out and see if I won't be faithful and prove himself. That's in Malachi chapter 3, and in November this year we're going to preach through the book of Malachi. So you can read it for yourself, or you can wait till, wait till November, but either way, uh, God proves himself true. So we have no right to demand or expect that God prove his existence to us because he has already done that. Now, does the story of Elijah guarantee all of us a happy and wonderful outcome whenever we stand up publicly and proclaim the truth of God's word? Well, no. No, because many people have been punished, insulted, abused, tortured, imprisoned, persecuted, even killed for their faith since the time of Jesus, right through history, right up to today. It's impossible to record exact numbers, but credible sources believe that since Jesus walked on earth, 70 million people have been killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. And even today, people estimate between 90,000 and 100,000 people every year are killed for their faith in Jesus. No guarantee of a happy ending on this life. You might, you might ask, well, why would I follow Jesus if the price is so great and the cost is so high and it might even cost me my life? Well, Jesus warned us in Matthew 5, 11 of what was to come when he said that people will mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. 
And then Jesus goes on to say, but be happy about it. Be very glad, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. I don't know about you, I reckon getting to heaven at all is a great reward, but even by heaven's standards, there is a great reward for those people who are persecuted for their faith and endure and stand up for Jesus. See, we don't follow Jesus because we want to have an easy, stress-free, comfortable life here on earth. We follow Jesus because he deserves it because he gave his life for us. We follow Jesus in this life. We should follow Jesus in this life, but the rewards may not come until eternity. And in Matthew 10, Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. I've got Luke's throat. It's infectious. Thanks for sharing, bud. See, God calls us to serve him. He doesn't guarantee an easy life or miraculous protection or supernatural events. He promises he will be with us and he promises eternal life for all of those who believe in Jesus. So the question of the day is, who or what will you serve? Will it be your career and your wealth and your material possessions, your lifestyle, your footy team, your political party, your popularity? Or will you serve the Lord? Our priorities are determined by our actions. It can be a good idea to write down your priorities, to have them crystal clear in your mind. It can also be risky because then people hold you accountable when they see you when you fail. A few weeks ago, Luke and I and Ray Granger and Marie, we went to hear a speaker called Craig Groeschel. He's a, a pastor from America, very big church, multiple campuses. He does all these talks on leadership and stuff. And he told us a story about the early days of his church. He said they'd identified these core values that they believed in, that they thought were great and they wanted to live up to, and they publicised them. And they said, this is, what, this is who we are, this is what we stand for. And then after a while, he said, there was one of those that they had to reevaluate and acknowledge that even though we think that's a great idea, actually our actions, we're not, back, we're not actually backing up what we say we believe. So they had to remove that value, even though they still thought it was a good idea, they just had to remove it from their public list because they had to acknowledge. He didn't say what it was, but he had to acknowledge that they weren't really in that particular area practising what they preached, which, I mean, I've got to give the guy great credit. That would be take courage, that would take humility to tell that story. But if our actions don't back up what we say our priorities are, then they're not really a priority. So even though I've admitted that it's uh, risky to publicise your priorities, let me just tell you my top three and then you can hold me accountable to them. So my highest priority is God, and not just any God, God, Jehovah, and Jesus Christ, his son. And when I first went to uni, when I was 18, I went to with a South American uh, student whose name was uh, Jesus Herreras. I'm not talking about him. I'm talking about Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Jesus who... Uh, was crucified on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago, Jesus who rose from the dead, Jesus the only name under heaven by which man can be saved. That's the Jesus I'm talking about. I want to be very, very specific about which God and Jesus I serve. Secondly, uh, my family. I want to be an Ephesians 5 husband, a good father. So that's a high priority for me. And third, uh, church. Right now that's follow, of course, but I wrote this many years ago. Whichever church I'm involved in, the church should be a great thing that model that God has designed for his people to meet together, to love each other, to work together, to do his work in the community. Whatever church I'm involved in is always going to be a high priority for me. Obviously, those second and third ones, you know, there were times when, you know, recently we had a church event that I had said I would be there, and then on the night, uh, 
you know, for family reasons, if I hadn't had this in clear in my mind, I probably would have ditched the family for the church. But sometimes, my family will tell you I do that plenty of times anyway, but sometimes you have to know what your priorities are to help you make those decisions. Because if you don't have your priorities determined rationally, logically, clearly in advance, then in the heat of the moment, when you suddenly have to make a decision, you can make decisions that you may later regret. One classic example, uh, when I was 19 or 20, we had a youth group, uh, a visitor at our youth group, a young adults group, and he talked about purity and saving yourself for marriage. And Nick Watson touched on this again yesterday, which was uh, really great. And he challenged us when I was that age. He said to do the right thing. He outlined the biblical principles about one man and one woman and saving yourself. And I made a commitment that day that I would wait, that I would save myself. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm not no oil painting. Temptation wasn't a, a huge issue, but there still was times when I was tempted and you just got to say, no, nah, I'm going home, good night. Because if you've decided in advance that is your priority, that is what you want to do, it's much easier than suddenly in the heat of the moment when emotions are going, it's much, much more difficult to make those decisions then. So decide your priorities in advance. Choose today who you will serve and what your priorities will be rather than wait for the moment. Now all of that seems like a long detour, but it brings us back to Genesis 36 and the life of Esau, who appears to have made choices that served himself, but God is never mentioned in the entire chapter. Sometimes in, when you're driving, there's a fork in the road. There's two different ways you can go. Sometimes in our life, it's the same. A fork in the road, two decisions. And this is like a fork in the road of a family tree. We've had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But you know, after Isaac, Jacob and Esau go in polar opposite paths with their lives. We know all about what happened to Jacob and his descendants. The Bible traces their history all the way through the, you know, the flaws and the failings and the forgiveness all the way down to the life of Jesus. We don't know so much about the descendants of Esau, but the Bible does give us some little clues. One, one descendant of Esau mentioned in this chapter was a guy called Amalek. Now, Amalek was a grandson of Esau, and his descendants were the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were long-time enemies of the Israelites. Uh, they attacked the Israelites when they were coming out of Egypt. They attacked the Israelites again when they settled in the Promised Land. They continued to attack them uh, for years, year after year, until by the time of King Saul... In 1 Samuel chapter 15, God gave a fairly radical instruction. God said, I've decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalekite nation, men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels and donkeys. Wow, savage. For God to say that, things must have been really, really extreme. It must have been a serious problem. As it turns out, King Saul didn't quite follow the instructions correctly. And he, he allowed one survivor, which was the Amalekite king, a guy called Agag, and then many more generations, one of Agag's descendants, a guy called Haman, in the book of Esther, again tried to destroy all the people of God. So it seems the descendants of Esau had a huge grudge against the descendants of Jacob. And you might say, well, look at how Jacob treated Esau. You know, fair enough. But see, people can be victims of injustice doesn't give you a right to fight back. Jesus was, suffered more injustice than anyone else ever. But did he hold a grudge? Did he fight back? Did he lash out? Did he get even? No, he gave up his life for his enemies. So in God's eyes, Esau and his descendants had no cause for their hatred of the, towards the descendants of Jacob. 
The book of Obadiah also gives us a glimpse into how God saw their future. The, the whole book of Obadiah is this prophecy of God speaking about the descendants of Edom, the descendants of Esau. And in verse 10 he says, um, Because of the violence you did to your close relatives in Israel, you will be filled with shame and destroyed forever. So the evidence suggests that Esau did not choose to serve God, which is the same as choosing not to serve God. Now Esau did some good things. He accumulated great wealth and there's nothing wrong with wealth as long as it doesn't become your highest priority. Esau also appeared to forgive Jacob, his brother, when he came back from all those years working with Laban. And as Wilma read, Esau even moved away from the land so that Jacob could have it. Of course, this is the land that God had promised to Jacob and his descendants anyway, so smart move Esau, just move out before God forces you out. But it seemed like a good thing to do. But there was nowhere that indicates that Esau willingly served God. And sometimes we can be so busy doing good stuff that we actually neglect what is most important, and that is Jesus. Now there's actually, this is not by design, but an accidental uh, demonstration on the wall behind me. I've got a lot of good stuff on this wall. If you think of all these follow banners as, uh, you know, different good things that follow do, we've got good, good, follow, 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 all these good stuff, and then way up there, get the binoculars out, Jesus, that's what we're really here about, isn't it? And sometimes our life is like that, and there's so much good stuff that we're concentrating on and focusing on that we can neglect the thing that really matters, and that's Jesus. And again, there's no sinister intent with this. It's just, just a demonstration. I know we are focused on Jesus. But my point is, what are your priorities? Who do you serve? And even if you say, I serve the Lord... Do your actions back up your words? In, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? That's gone. Anyway, so the message for today. Choose today who you will serve. Some people serve themselves. Some people serve a cause. They might be passionate about the environment or animal rights. Or Nowadays, we've even got campaigners for a diet and veganism. Some people serve, you know, some people serve the church. But these might all be good things and very good things in some cases, but they should never be our highest priority. The Bible tells us, submit yourself to God. Serve the Lord and him only. Seek first the kingdom of God. See, doing good can never save you. Only Jesus can save you. So choose today who you will serve. Don't be like Esau. Be like Abraham, be like Isaac, be like Jacob. Despite their flaws and their mistakes and their weaknesses, they all chose to serve God. And be like Joshua and declare publicly, boldly, with conviction, I will serve the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, you know our hearts, you know our church vision. We know we want to serve you and honour you and glorify you in all that we do. Give us the strength, the passion to make sure our lives reflect that and enhance that. And um, yeah, let us glorify you in all that we do. Amen. Thanks for listening to our message this week. If it stirred your heart and you would like to talk to someone more about it or pray with someone, please get in touch with us at info at follow.church.
and one of our pastoral team will get back to you as soon as possible. If you'd like more information about Follow and our various ministries, including weekly service times and location, please check out our website, www.follow.church. Thanks again for joining us. God bless.